the question I want each of us to consider this morning, the question I want us to wrestle with and to consider is to, is will we follow Jesus? To ask ourselves, each of us, will I follow Jesus with my entire life? Am I right now, April 2014, following Jesus with my life? Uh, my name is Dave, and we are thankful that you're with us on this Easter morning. Happy Easter to you. If you're our guest today uh, with us for the first time, our hope is that you feel loved and welcomed here. This church is not just for insiders. It's not an exclusive group, but actually we're praying that you will not just remain our guest, but that you will come back and you will find a home here, and you will find friendship here. You will grow in your faith and be a part of something bigger than yourself, a mission to continue to change the world and impact people with the love and hope and grace found in Jesus Christ alone. I don't believe you're here by accident and that God has worked it out for you uh, to be here this morning in what we call our Crosspoint living room. Thanks for squeezing in today. There's overflow in the other room. If your kids get restless, um, which it just happens, but if your kids get restless, feel free to take them back there. The video and audio feed is back there. Typically on Sunday mornings, our children nursery through sixth grade is involved in Sun Chasers Children's Ministry. So I'd encourage you, if you have kids of that age and that you're our guest, to bring them back next week so they can experience the fun of Sun Chasers. Speaking of kids, congratulations to Eric and Bree Johnson on the birth of... You don't even know what I'm, I'm going to say yet. Um, but uh, they had Harvey, their son, this past Thursday. So uh, that's their third child, and we're excited for them. And so just be continuing to pray for them and their growing family. The question I want to keep coming back to is, will I follow Jesus? To make it personal, to ask ourselves, will I, fill in your first name, will I follow Jesus with my life from this day forward? I'm on three different social media sites. I believe only three. Uh, but Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram... I follow a lot of people. Uh, I have some people following me. The concept or idea of following someone, uh, Facebook or Twitter didn't actually invent it. You and I have followed people for our entire lives. When I was a kid, I followed my mom and dad around. I followed my sister who was four years older than me. I followed friends and began to take after what they did or how they talked. I remember playing basketball in my driveway as a kid. The boom box was plugged in and uh, the mixtape was going, or the Hoosiers soundtrack was going, which I dubbed off of somebody else, and some of that doesn't make any sense to you. But all of that was happening, and I was modeling my jump shot after Michael Jordan, which, by the way, in case you're wondering, I did not perfect that one. Um, I never grew to 6'6 either. But uh, I modeled this move after Hakeem Olajuwon, and this one after another guy, and I followed them. People you follow, you want to become like. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be like my, I wanted to be like Mike. I wanted to be like this friend who was strong or like this friend who was fast or this, this friend who was popular. Each of us in this room or listening on the podcast, we followed people in our lifetime. We followed parents, we siblings, friends. We followed spouses, employers. In a moment of honesty, some of us would say that we've we don't want to follow certain people, maybe that parent that, oh, I'm not going to be, be like them, so I'm no longer going to follow them. And at the end of the day, we have followed others, but there's one person that each of us has followed. We began following them at birth. We've never stopped following them. We love this person, and this person is the same answer for everyone on the planet, for all of history, and no, the answer is not God. The person that each of us has followed and has for years and years is ourselves. If ourselves had a Twitter account, 
We'd follow at me and like all their tweets. We'd retweet everything they were saying. They, if, if they're on Facebook, we'd like all their posts. If they're on Instagram, well, there'd be a lot of selfies, wouldn't there? All right? And we'd heart every single one of them. When we are born, we have one person we naturally just adore and love. And no, it's not God. It's us. We are born, in a sense, with two, thumb, two thumbs pointing in, saying we love this guy. And so we look for, out for ourselves. We cry out, mine, when some other kid or cousin takes our toy. We get fired up and arch our backs in the high chair because mushy peas are gross, all right? We don't always respond with gladness and joy when some coach or teacher tells us what to do or some parent tells us what to do, and we don't really want to do that because, frankly, we like the authority. I always did. Although I was not an outwardly rebellious kid, inwardly I resisted when someone called me to live differently or humble myself. Do this, and I didn't want to do that. And each of us are born with hearts that are sinful, is what the Bible would say. Hearts that are prone to disobey and resist authority because personally, we always obey ourselves. We never resist our own authority. And yet Jesus continues to invite us, asking us this question, will you follow me? Will you lay down your preconceived ideas of who I am and follow me? Will you lay down your agenda and pick up my agenda and my mission instead? Will you live for someone other than yourself? And we hear that invitation and go, what kind of ego trip is Jesus of Nazareth on? Who gives him the authority to ask me to follow him? And that question brings us to Easter morning. Easter sets Jesus apart from all the rest. Easter is what makes Christianity distinct. It's what makes, uh, makes it life-changing compared to the enslavement of just another man-made religion, religious system of rules and regulations. All other religions were founded by men and prophets whose end was the grave. The end, the grave. As Christians, we take comfort, hope, and joy in the fact that our God became man died for our sins. He took on flesh. He died for our sins and was resurrected on the third day. The grave could not hold him. He lives and he sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Think about it. Here you are today. We gather in this place. You got your best pastels on. Some of you wore ties. You haven't worn worn a tie for a year to this church. All right. You got your spring colors on. I wore khakis. All right. You got up this morning, we call this Sunday Easter because nearly 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus who lived halfway around the world, who was dead, who experienced one of the most horrific ways of death that man has ever come up with. On a Friday, he was buried. We gather here today because he came back to life and not just momentarily, but he lives forever. Among other things, in his resurrection, he proved he was the very son of God the Messiah, the sent one, the hero, the rescuer who had come to, come to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died and to rescue us from our sin, to set us free from sin's power and to invite people, will you follow me? Will you follow me? His invitation to follow him is not as a result of him being an egomaniac. His authority to invite us, to call us to follow him is because he's He's God. He was God in the flesh, fully divine, fully man. It's because he is the one who created us and designed us to worship and follow him. This is what we miss so often, that we are not just 
randomly here on this earth for such a time as this. That we are not just a, a mass collection of cells, tissues, muscles, and bones with opposable thumbs and big toes. Instead, we were made in the image and likeness of our God. And the Bible says we were knit together. We were formed by his loving hands. He knew each of us before our parents even knew us. He saw us before uh, our parents saw us in the flesh or on that 3D sonogram. He knew you. He saw you. He knows you. He sees you. And the God of the universe who came in the flesh, who died in our place, who rose again on the third day, he invites you and he invites me to follow him. And you might ask or think to yourself, but aren't we following him now? I mean, aren't we following Jesus because, well, I'm, I'm not some other religion. I, I believe that there's a God. I, I'm not an atheist or I'm not bowing to Buddha or Hindu but, or some other Hindu God. But then, but, so then by default, aren't I following Jesus? I, I mean, it's the Midwest, right? It's a small town. This is rural USA. I'm following Jesus, right? And again, the Bible would say that people are born following no one but themselves. That even though we are created by God to follow him, to love him, to serve him, to live devoted to him, that ever since the fall of man in Genesis 3, our hearts have been sinful and our sin separates us from our God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 gives us this very frank and honest picture of the human heart and how it follows itself. It says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. All of us. That is all encompassing. Me, you, all of us, all people, all of time, used to live in a way that at worst disobeyed God completely and at best simply disregarded and ignored him, which is still disobedience. For example, we have two kids. If I call out to my kids, hey, go clean your rooms. And one, we won't name names, but one goes into their room and actually makes it worse by pulling out all their clothes, messing up their bed, and dropping like a bag of flour in the middle of the bed, in the middle of the room. And then the other child, here's what I said, and simply ignores what I said and goes about their day and says, at least I didn't drop a bag of flour in my bedroom. In either case, did either child obey me? No, neither one did. And such is the state of our human hearts. Apart from God, we don't naturally obey the ways of God. Verse 3 says, All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. God creates us. We're not an accident. We're not just some random person living here on planet Earth or in Woodford County. We were created with value, purpose, and the life we have, the air we breathe, the sun that you experienced this morning, the breeze that will be on your face later today is an evidence of God's grace in your life. And yet the Bible tells us, our own hearts tell us that we've sinned against him, that we've rebelled. We've become self-absorbed. We've tried to live as if he doesn't exist. We've lied. We've worshipped things other than him. As a result, the sin separates us from his love and his acceptance. We are born or come into this world subject to God's anger. 
We are lost. We are without hope. We are spiritually dead. We are separated by our Creator. We are destined to spend eternity separated from Him in judgment. We are up an eternal creek without a paddle. Happy Easter, right? Verses 1 through 3 paint a, a grim, hopeless picture to say the least. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You found yourself so entangled by sin or the consequences of your actions, you're, you're not sure which way is up anymore. You've disregarded Jesus for years, and you're wondering if it's been too long or, or if, if you're beyond rescue or saving. He or she has walked out on you, and you found yourself hopeless, to say the least. Your faith used to be solid and growing, but something has, has happened that has caused your faith to be shaken. And you might characterize your heart as doubting right now. And you're wondering if that will ever change. Or maybe you've been so skeptical of Jesus or just kind of been an outright critic of him, frankly. And you're thinking, yeah, I agree with verses 1 through 3. Because it seems like, and it seems like as I read those, that I'm on the outside looking in. I guess there's no hope for me. You might sit here listening on the podcast and you're looking around going, could this God love me? I mean, I've dropped a flower bomb in the middle of my life, or, or maybe I haven't, but I've just disregarded the ways of God. Does Jesus really invite me to follow him? I mean, he knows what I've done. He knows what I've not done, what I'm addicted to, the, the mess that I've made of things, or how I've lived only for myself for years. Does his invitation to follow me apply to me? Yes. Yes, it does. And here's why his invitation to follow him applies to you and to me and to all of people for all of time. Verse 4, Ephesians 2, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Why does he invite us to follow him? The answer to that question has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. But God One of the biggest, most life-changing phrases in the entire Bible. God is so rich in mercy and so unlimited in love. He loved us so much. Here's the beautiful thing about our God. He is just. He is holy. He is perfect. No evil exists in him. His perfection is so bright that if we got a full taste or view of it, it would literally kill us. And so to know that we've sinned and our hearts have been reflective of verses 1 through 3, we understand why he would be angry with us. His anger regarding sin is justified. That's not who he created us to be. That's not how he's called us to live. But God. See, some of you only see God as this divine being who throws lightning bolts at people or plunks them on the head when they screw up. That he is this wicked God who loves to torment people. Or on the flip side, that God is this grandfather type of figure who kind of pats people on the head and says, oh, well, try better next time, but doesn't get really too upset because, you know, he's grandpa. He's got a butterscotch in his pocket, and he's just going to say, it's okay, here's a Kit Kat. I mean, just, I'm grandpa. Neither of those depictions of God is accurate. Instead, we see that he is holy and just, that our sin is not, is not going to be ignored, but there's a penalty to, penalty to be paid for it. It all seems like bad news. But God, God is also rich in mercy and love. And this is where the good news enters the story triumphantly. 
Our God is an infinite supply of love and mercy. At the end of the day, it is all about God. Into this hopeless situation of our hearts that are lost, God reaches in and says it doesn't have to end that way. We are not loved because of what we have done or because we are that great. We are loved because God is that good. We are extended mercy because God is that good, because he is, this, he is the definition and embodies love and mercy. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from, from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Imagine how the followers of Jesus felt on Friday. The man they'd followed for three plus years was hanging on a cross. He was being mocked. He was been, being ridiculed. He was being laughed at. And he was suffering on a cross, the man that they had given their life to for three plus years. And then he breathed his last breath. They had to be thinking, what? What is going on? Despair, doubting, devastation. They all were swirling emotions. But God, God had a plan. And you might find yourself sitting here and you're in the midst of despair or doubting or devastation. And you need to be reminded from God's word of this phrase, but God, God has a plan. In the midst of your despair, the doubt, the devastation, who are you trusting in? Who are you clinging to or leaning on? Who are you following? See, we were dead in our sin, but God made us alive. We were lost, but God has found us. We were without hope, but God, because of the resurrection, we now have a living and eternal hope. We were pursuing only ourselves, but God, through Jesus, invites us to pursue him instead. Jesus was dead on a cross and buried in a tomb, but Jesus rose from the dead. God loves the loveless. He gives life to the lifeless. And is merciful to those deserving, you and me, deserving no mercy. See, we were made alive because Jesus is alive. Even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. So even though you feel like you've run too far, done too much, done too little, or ignored for too long, rebelled so outwardly, resisted so inwardly, the fact that you have so many doubts, you have so many questions, even though all of that, he has pursued us and is pursuing us with this life-changing news that Jesus, through Jesus, we can have life. And we can find life, forgiveness, and salvation because Jesus rose from the dead. God's grace is just that good. His grace steps into the situation full of despair, devastated hearts, doubting souls, his grace intersects the human heart and says, stop following yourself. Follow me instead. Listen, you can trust me because I rose from the dead. I am trustworthy. I not only died for you and laid down my life for you, but then I took my life right back up so that in me you can find true, abundant, eternal life, salvation for your souls. It is not a question of if God is pursuing you. It is not a question of if God is pursuing you. It is only a question 
of how you and I will respond to his pursuit of us. Will we continue to run, resist, and try to ignore that? Or will we answer his invitation to follow him? See, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus rose from the dead, it means that our our sin, our wrongdoing has not only been paid for, but now no longer has a hold on us. The past, our past no longer defines who we are or where we're going. The resurrection reminds us that for those who follow Jesus, who are in Christ, that our future is secure and full of hope. It also means that our death is, that, that our God is faithful and keeps his promises. He told us the resurrection would occur, and it did. And so when we read God's word, we can stake our life on it. So in Ephesians 2, you get this very bleak and grim and desperate picture painted of the human heart and our lives lived apart from Jesus. But then we read, but God, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that we have been saved. Had it not been for God's grace, we'd still be lost and without hope. But because of God's grace, we are invited to give up trusting ourselves, to turn around, to have a change of mind when it comes to who, what we believe about Jesus. When we begin following Jesus as Lord and Savior, we now no longer believe that Jesus was, was just a good person, but we believe that he was the very Son of God, that his words were the very words of God, and that he died on the cross for our sin and rose again on the third day for us. We place our faith in Jesus. It hits us that this good news of Jesus and what he's done, that this news is not just for other people, but it's for us. It's for me. It becomes personal. Knowing that Jesus was the Son of God means that you can no longer remain neutral on who he was and who he is. You can no longer remain neutral. And his question to you remains, his question to me remains, will we follow Jesus, what is your response to that invitation? So we follow him by putting our complete faith in him. We follow him by confessing or, or declaring that with our mouths. We follow him, and by following him, we are saying, we want to become more like you and less and less like ourselves. We no longer want to follow ourselves. We want to follow you instead. We no longer want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in you and what you've done. So we follow him, not just partially, but fully. So we get it all on the table and say, Jesus, take all of me. I'm not going to hold anything back because you didn't hold anything back for me. You died the death I should have, li- I should have died. You lived the life I should have lived. You came back to life so that I might have life, so I will follow you. When you look in the Bible of the stories of the disciples who, who witnessed his, his crucifixion, and then also witnessed his resurrection. And you look at their lives. Their lives were completely different as a result of that. They were never the same. There was no holding back. They were all in for all their lives. They lived radically devoted to the one who was radically devoted to them enough to die and rise again. Apart from Jesus, we are not just partially lost, as if we just needed one more piece of directions like well just if you take a right i mean you're almost there just take one more right and you're you're there 
or we were not just in need of, of a helping hand to carry the load. Like, Jesus, take that side of my sin, and I'll take this side, and we'll, we'll tag team this thing, and we'll get it together. Listen to me. We were completely lost. It was as if we were sitting in the, in the dark, unable to move on our own, waiting for the light to turn on. We were completely unable to carry the load of our sin. And in fact, when we try to do it on our own, it only leads to death. That's what the Bible tells us. But God, God who is so rich in mercy and unlimited in love, sought us out and said, I will come and be the light of the world. I will come and bear the full weight of our sin, past, present, and future. And whatever sin is in your life that you think is somehow an exemption to that, you're wrong. There's no loophole to that. He covered it all. He died for all of it, including that one that you're thinking about right now. And he says, then I will prove to the world that I am God's one and only son by coming back to life. See, it becomes personal because you realize that Jesus died for your sin and rose again on Easter morning for you. This is why his invitation remains. Will you follow me? Will you trust in someone other than yourself? Will you trust in what I did on the cross and the resurrection? Will you trust that that's enough? Will you stop trying to strive and earn and obtain your way and simply rest in what's already been done for you? Rest in by following him. So if you're ready to begin this adventure of following him for the first time or or if god has exposed your heart in such a way where where you realize you were once following him but you've wandered away but today your heart is telling you your the holy spirit is ultimately telling you that you need to begin to follow him again fully surrendered all in holding nothing back bringing all your doubts all your devastation all your despair all your sin all your pride all your questions laying that at his feet to say today i will follow you and if that's you, I want to lead you in prayer as we close. The, listen, to, and I would encourage you to pray aloud at your seat. The words are not magical here. The words are simply a, a way to reflect what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. It's a way to confess with your mouth, to declare with your mouth, Jesus, you have all of me. You have all of me. So if that reflects your desire, then if that's where God has your heart right now, if you're ready to follow him, but I encourage you to uh, pray after me. So let's, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. I admit that I have a heart that is lost without you. I've sinned against you, Jesus. I ask that you forgive me. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for being rich in mercy and love. God, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed along with me, here's what I would encourage you to do. You have a guest connection card, a connection card in your program. On the back of that, I would encourage you to fill out your name and, and mark that you committed or recommitted your life to Christ. 
this week. We'd love to encourage you in your faith and celebrate what God is doing. Following Jesus is not an individual activity. It's one we do together. So this is not just, well, you pray to prayer, now now go live how you've always lived. But no, instead, you pray to prayer, God's, God's saved you, so now come live life together in community with a family of God that you've been adopted into. For the person here who still has questions on what it means to believe in Jesus, I want to tell you this is a safe place to explore who he is, what he's done for you, and his invitation to follow him still awaits your response. If you need prayer, there will be volunteers available here in the front during this last song as well as after the service. So let's stand together and sing and worship Jesus who on Easter we are reminded that he is our king. Next week we begin a series called Listen. If you're a parent in here, you've said, listen, listen. All right. We're going to talk about five things we need to pass on to the next generation. If you're not a parent in here, uh, this will be good stuff for our heart, things we need to hear from God, things we need to put into practice and apply to our lives. If you're a guest, I'd love for you to fill out a connection card, drop that by Guest Connections, and help us get to know you so we can keep you in the know of what's happening around here. Meet somebody new before you leave. Introduce yourself. God bless you next week.